This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. You hear a lot about tourism in West Virginia. It is a growing industry in the state and it brings in a lot of money. We were outpacing the national rate of growth by about 58%. But then you get to 2019 and you see this, this huge increase. But is it sustainable? We'll have that story and more this West Virginia Morning. A federal prosecutor is holding a forum in West Virginia today on citizens' constitutional rights and how they're enforced. U.S. Attorney William Elamfeld and his staff are hosting the event in Morgantown. Experts will explain hate crimes, disability rights, housing rights, and other areas of law, according to a news release from Elamfeld's office. Elamfeld says federal civil rights laws are an important tool in the efforts to make communities in West Virginia safer and more welcoming, but they are often overlooked. The half-day program is free and open to the public. It starts at 9 a.m. at the Mon County Center at Milam Park. Penn State researchers have identified a rare bird hybrid. It's a combination of two brightly colored songbirds, a rose-breasted grosbeak and a scarlet tattinger. PSU researcher David Tavies says it's the first reported hybrid of the two species, which was found in western Pennsylvania. Their plumage is something that they use to distinguish each other. So they're usually pretty good at uh, choosing mates that are their own species. Uh, So these, while mistakes happen, uh, it's not quite as common. The two birds last shared a common ancestor 10 million years ago. Tavy's team will continue to study the bird hybrid using genomic sequencing. Kentucky writer Silas House is best known for his novels about rural life and people. Among them, the books Southernmost and The Cold Tattoo. Inside Appalachia's Mason Adams spoke with House about his latest, Lark Ascending, a story of Appalachian refugees trying to escape the effect of climate change. Silas House, thank you so much for coming on Inside Appalachia to speak with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Lark Ascending is a a gripping novel. I understand you were in Heinemann in late July when the floods hit. So you hear you have this book about a climate-changed world, and you're experiencing the the effects of it firsthand there in Kentucky. What what was that like? Well, I was on my way to the Appalachian Writers Workshop at Heinemann, which was sort of the epicenter of the flooding. So I wasn't there, but I I was there after the floods hit and worked in some of the flood relief. And I think, you know, a whole lot of people realized climate change has come to us and it's undeniable in, in that particular flood. It was just, um, so quick and the rain was so violent. It was, it's just undeniable that it's something new. Uh, It's something, you know, that we didn't experience in our childhoods. It's different. Um, It's here, you know. What's your sense of how people in Appalachia feel about climate change? It it seems like it's still politicized, but at the same time, you know, people see the weather. And even if they don't believe it's man-made, they see the effects in the coal industry and the gas industry. 
what's your sense of, of where Appalachia is on climate change at the moment? Uh, that's an interesting question because it makes me think of growing up, you know, how important the weather was. Everyone commented on the weather all the time. And so I do hear a lot of people say the weather's different. The weather has changed. But I also hear those same people sort of have been convinced by so many talking heads that climate change is not a real thing. So it's like on one hand, I hear people in my family verify it, <laughs> you know, by saying this didn't happen when I was growing up, but at the same time, sort of denying that it's, uh, you know, because of climate change. So I think, you know, the there's so much bad information out there and sort of one of the best things about the internet is how much information it gives us. And also the worst thing about the internet is how much information it gives us. Tell me a little bit how you conceived this story and then, and then wrote it. Well, the family who is at the center of this book are, um, they're from the West Virginia, Maryland border. They live in a very small town right there. The climate change has fueled uh, ferocious forest fires that are spreading from the West. At the beginning of their story, they have to leave Appalachia, um, central Appalachia, and actually going up into Maine. And then from Maine, they go to Nova Scotia, then across the Atlantic, and finally to Ireland. So they're making this sort of epic journey out of Appalachia and across the sea to to what so many people think of as as a homeland of Appalachia. You know, when I think of contemporary Appalachia, I think that you just can't deny our culture is such a, a tangled knot of uh, Native American, African, and Scots-Irish influences. All three of those cultures come together to make the Appalachian culture, to my mind. And so in a way, this family's sort of making a reverse journey. So I do think of it as sort of a global Appalachian story. And I also think, you know, to go back to the flooding, a, a lot of people have talked about Appalachia as a refuge when climate change, you know, goes into higher gear. But in fact, I think Appalachian people are going to suffer greatly at, at the hands of climate change. And a lot of that has to do with the way that, you know, it's been treated as a sacrificial ground for over a century uh, by the rest of the country, the rest of the world, the way that has changed our topography, our drainage, our aquifers, etc. So I just don't think you can separate Appalachia from climate change and climate refugees, which is something we're going to be talking more and more about. So I was thinking about all those things when I was writing the book and, and how we have to be thinking about those things. We don't have any choice now. That was Kentucky writer Silas House. His new book, Novel, is Lark Ascending. To hear more of that interview, visit Inside Appalachia at wvpublic.org. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. Patchy fog this morning, becoming mostly sunny today. Highs in the 60s and low 70s. Partly cloudy skies tonight with lows in the 40s and 50s. And partly sunny tomorrow with highs in the 60s and 70s. 
Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSaveAlaw.com. Tourism brings in increasing number of visitors and money into the state, dispelling some misconceptions about West Virginia and offering new opportunities in regions of the state that have fallen behind. The West Virginia Public Broadcasting News Team is looking into tourism, including issues like infrastructure and programs meant to attract more people. Our news director, Eric Douglas, starts this project off with a look at tourism jobs. For some, West Virginia has long been a destination for outdoor activities. While the pandemic shook up most of the world's economies, including tourism, it actually gave things here a boost. According to a press release from Governor Jim Justice's office, West Virginia's tourism industry is up nearly 4% compared to pre-pandemic levels. Nationally, tourism is still down 27% compared to 2019. Even with those increases, employment in the tourism industry has not kept up. According to Chelsea Ruby, the state's Secretary of Tourism, employment often lags a couple years behind visitor spending. Where what we saw was this traveler spending was growing really fast. We were outpacing the national rate of growth by about 58%. So then you get to 2019 and you see this, this huge increase um, where employment was actually the highest it had been um, in, the, in the previous decade because it was starting to catch up with that spending growth. Ruby explained that workforce projections show that the hospitality and travel industry will need a lot more new employees in West Virginia in the coming years. According to data from Workforce West Virginia, the leisure and hospitality sector employs almost 69,000 people. But that's actually 4,000 fewer than in 2011 and only about 5,000 more than 2001 that right before the pandemic, we were at the height of where we'd been as far as directly employed tourism employees. And the second thing you'll see is a gradual increase in earnings that we've seen as far as the ratio between earnings and in jobs. We're starting to pay more in these positions, which I think is important to long-term growth in the industry. Richie Heath is the executive director of the West Virginia Hospitality and Travel Association. The spending trends are, are, are back and better than ever. You're seeing that overall tourism spending is up over where it was in the pandemic. The governor's report indicates traveler spending in West Virginia exceeded $4.9 billion in 2021. Spending for lodging alone was up more than 44%. But Heath agreed that employment is still lagging. You, you've got a lot of tourism activity going on in southern West Virginia now, which, which obviously uh, ha, has needed some of that development. And we're seeing... Local businesses down there, they're now expanding in. They, they, they're doing cabins and, and lodging and, and things like that geared towards all the traffic. The Hatfields and McCoys Trail is a southern West Virginia success story on one level. It is bringing money and visitors into a region of our state that has struggled in recent years. It opened in 2000 and has grown every year since. This year, they sold 95,000 permits to ride the trails from March to November. 80% of those visitors are from out of state. For Jeffrey Lusk, the executive director of the trail system, it's about the businesses created by West Virginians. It's been pretty successful. We're kind of an engine of entrepreneurship. Um, we've had a lot of businesses. Uh, these businesses primarily are lodging. Uh, there has been some food service and stuff like that. We're still 
I would call us, you know, if I had to frame us, we are a small regional tourist destination. Lusk explained that impact studies show the trail system brings in about $68 million in revenue, but it supports fewer than 700 direct jobs. Most of the cabins and other lodging places only have one or two full-time employees and a few part-time cleaning people. So you see that it's not an engine for jobs. It's definitely an engine for entrepreneurship. The pandemic was actually a bonus for the trails. When we were coming into the pandemic, we were at 55,000 riders. We came out of that at 95,000. One of the big questions when it comes to tourism is do tourism jobs replace the manufacturing or mining jobs the state has lost over the years? Jordan Newsom is the communications director for the Hospitality Association. He noted that the coming jobs in the tourism industry aren't all entry-level minimum wage type positions. Between now and 2025, I think they said that they're expecting about 24,000 job openings in hospitality and tourism, and 13,000 of those, so over half, would be a management-style job. The state recently received a $5 million grant from the U.S. Economic Development Administration. Rather than investing that money into advertising or infrastructure, Tourism Secretary Ruby said they chose to use the grant for education. So we'll start with middle school curriculum development. We'll be creating pathways in high school so kids can start earning college credits while they're in high school towards hospitality degrees. We'll be looking at creating new training programs for all the hospitality workers um, out. So everybody from the gas station workers to hotel clerks, restaurant um, waiters, etc., And then we're also going to be looking at training. How can we upskill some of our existing workforce so that they can enter the industry or move up in the industry? For Ruby, this is a career field more West Virginians should be looking at. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Eric Douglas in Charleston. This story is the first in a series on on the tourism industry in West Virginia. Tune in to West Virginia Morning each day to hear the next installment. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, David Adkins, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.